Welcome to Volume 6 of Jeeves in the Morning. Chapter 14 Good evening, sir, he said. Good evening, Jeeves, I responded. You gave me quite a start, sir. Nothing to the one you gave me. I thought the top of my head had come off. I'm sorry to have been the cause of your experiencing any discomfort, sir. I wasn't able to herald my approach, the encounter being quite unforeseen. You are up late, sir. Yes. One could scarcely desire more delightful conditions for a nocturnal ramble. That is your view, is it? It is indeed, sir. I always feel that nothing is so soothing as a walk in a garden at night. Ha! The cool air, the scent of growing things. That is a tobacco plant which you can smell, sir. Is it? The stars, sir. Stars? Yes, sir. What about them? I was merely directing your attention to them, sir. Look how the floor of heaven is thick inlaid with patines of bright gold. Jeeves! There's not the smallest orb which thou beholdest, sir. But in his motion, like an angel sings, still quiring to the young-eyed cherubims. Jeeves! Such harmony is in immortal souls. But whilst this muddy vesture of decay doth grossly close it in, we cannot hear it. Jeeves! Sir. You couldn't possibly switch it off, could you? Certainly, sir, if you wish it. I'm not in the mood. Very good, sir. You know how one isn't sometimes. Yes, sir. I quite understand. I procured the brooch, sir. Brooch? The one which you wished me to purchase in place of the trinket lost in the fire, sir. Lady Florence's birthday present. Oh, ah! It will give you some rough indication of how this nocturnal ramble of mine had affected me when I say that I had completely forgotten about the damn thing. You've got it, eh? Yes, sir. And handed it in? Yes, sir. Good. That's off my mind, then. And believe me, Jeeves, the more I can get off my mind at this juncture, the better I shall like it, because it's already loaded down well above the Plimsoll mark. I'm sorry to hear that, sir. Do you know why I'm prowling about this garden? I was hoping that you might enlighten me, sir. I will. This is no careless saunter on which you find me engaged, Jeeves but an enterprise whose consequences may well stagger humanity. He listened intently while I sketched out the events which had led up to the tragedy, interrupting only with a respectful intake of the breath as I spoke of Uncle Percy, Boko, and the joke goods. It was plain that my story had gripped him. An eccentric young man, Mr. Fittleworth, sir. Was his comment as I concluded. Looting to the eyebrows, I agreed. The scheme which he has formulated is not, however, without its ingenuity. His lordship would undoubtedly be most grateful to anyone whom he supposed to have foiled a raid on the premises on this particular night. I happen to be aware that despite her ladyship's repeated instructions to him to attend to the matter, he forgot to post the letter renewing his burglary insurance. How do you know that? I have the facts from his lordship in person, sir ascertaining that I was about to drive to London this afternoon, he gave me the communication to dispatch in the metropolitan area so that it should reach its destination tomorrow morning by the first delivery. He was quite emotional as he urged me not to fail him 
and alluded to what her ladyship would say if she ever discovered his negligence. He shook visibly, sir. I was amazed. You don't mean he's scared of Aunt Agatha? Intensely, sir. A tough bird like him? Practically a bucko mate of a tramp steamer? Even the bucko mates stand in awe of the captains of their vessels, sir. Well, you absolutely astound me. I should have thought that if ever there was a bimbo who was master of his own home, that would be Percival Lord Warbleston. I am inclined to doubt whether the gentleman exists who could be master in a home that contained her ladyship, sir. Perhaps you're right. Yes, sir. I breathed deeply. For the first time since Boko had outlined the night's program, I was conscious of a relaxation of the strain. It would be paltering with the truth to say that even now, Bertram Wooster looked forward with any actual relish to busting that scullery window. But it was stimulating to feel that the action was likely to produce solid results. Then you think this scheme of Boko's will drag home the gravy? Quite conceivably, sir. That's a comfort. On the other hand... Oh, golly jeez, what's wrong now? I was merely about to say that Mr. Fiddleworth has selected a somewhat unfortunate moment for his enterprise, sir. It tends to clash with his lordship's arrangements. What do you mean? By an unfortunate coincidence, his lordship will in a few moments from now be proceeding to the potting shed to confer with Mr. Chichester Clam. Chichester Clam? Yes, sir. I shook the head. I think the strain to which I have been suggested must have affected my hearing. You sound to me as if you just were saying Chichester Clam. Yes, sir. Mr. J. Chichester Clam, managing director of the Clam Line. What on earth's the Clam Line? The shipping line, sir, which, if you remember, is on the eve of being merged with his lordship's pink funnel. I got it at last! You mean the chap Uncle Percy is trying to get together with? The ancient manor from America? Precisely, sir. Owing to the conflagration at Wee Nook, it became necessary to think of some other spot where the two gentlemen could meet and discuss their business without fear of interruption. And you chose the potting shed? Yes, sir. God bless you, Jeeves. Thank you, sir. Is this bird in the potting shed now? I should be disposed to imagine so, sir. When I motored to London this afternoon, it was with instructions from his lordship to establish telephonic communication with Mr. Clam at his hotel and urge him to hasten to Steeple Bumpley and be in the potting shed half an hour after midnight. The gentleman expressed complete understanding and agreement and assured me that he would drive down in good time to keep the appointment. I could not repress a pang of gentle pity for this hand across the sea. Born and brought up in America, he would, of course, not have the slightest idea of the sort of place Steeple Bumpley was, and what he was letting himself in for going there. I couldn't offhand say what Steeple Bumpley was saving up for Chichester Clam, but obviously he was headed for a sticky evening. I saw, too, what Jeeves meant about Bogo having selected an unfortunate moment for his enterprise. Half an hour past midnight? It must be nearly that now. Exactly that, sir. Then Uncle Percy will be manifesting himself at any moment. If I am not mistaken, sir, this would be his lordship 
whom you can hear approaching. And sure enough, from somewhere in the north-northeast, there came the sound of some solid object shuffling through the night. I inhaled with quick concern. He gadgies! Sir? Tis he! Yes, sir. I mused a moment. Well, I said, though not lacking the prospect and wishing that the civility could have been avoided, I suppose I'd better pass the time of day. What ho! I continued as he came abreast. What ho! What ho! I must say the results were not unpleasing. To a man, I mean, who, like myself, had twice tonight been forced to skip like the high hills on finding himself unexpectedly addressed from the shadows. Watching the relatives soar skywards with a wordless squeak, obviously startled out of a year's growth, I was conscious of a distinct sensation of getting a bit of my own back. I felt that whatever else might befall me, I was at least that much in the good. Introducing this uncle by marriage, I showed him to be a man who, in moments of keen emotion, had a tendency to say, What? and keep on saying it. And I did say so now. What? 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 He ejaculated, making five in all. What? He added, bringing it up to a round half-dozen. Lovely evening, Uncle Percy, I said, hoping by the exercise of suavity to keep the conversation on an amicable plane. Jeeves and I were just talking about the stars. What was it you said about the stars, Jeeves? I alluded to the fact that there was not the smallest orb which did not sing in its motion like an angel, still quiring to the young-eyed cherubim, sir. That's right. Worth knowing that, eh, Uncle Percy? During these exchanges, the relative had been going on saying what in a sort of strangled voice, as if still finding it a bit hard to cope with the pressure of events. He now came forward and peered at me, feasting the eyes as far as possible in the uncertain light. You! He said with a kind of gasp, like some strong swimmer in his agony. What the devil are you doing here? Just sauntering. Then go and saunter somewhere else, damn you! The Worcesters are quick to take a hint, and are generally able to spot when our presence is not desired. Reading between the lines, I could see that he was wishing me elsewhere. Right home, Uncle Percy, I said still maintaining the old suavity, and was about to withdraw when another of those voices, which seemed to be so common in these parts, spoke in my immediate rear, causing me to equal, if not improve upon, the old relative's recent standing high jump. What's all this? It said, and with what is sometimes called a sickening qualm, I perceived that it was Stilton who had joined our little group. Boko had been completely wrong about the man. Rosy though his chicks may have been, here was no eight-hour slumber, who had to be brought back to life by alarm clocks, but a vigilant guardian of the peace who was always up and doing, working while others slept. Stilton was looking gruesomely official. His helmet gleamed in the starlight. His regulation boots had settled themselves solidly into the turf. I'd rather think he had got his notebook out. What's all this? He repeated. I suppose Uncle Percy was still feeling a bit edgy. Nothing else could have explained the crisp, mouth-filling expletive which now proceeded from him like a shot out of a gun. It sounded to me like something he must have picked up from one of the sea captains in his employment. These rugged mariners always have excellent vocabularies, and no doubt they frequently drop into the office on their return from a voyage and teach him something new. What the devil do you mean, what's all this? And who the devil are you to come trespassing in my grounds? 
asking what's all this? What's all this yourself? What? Proceeded Uncle Percy, warring to his work. Are you doing here, you great oaf? I suppose you're just sauntering too. Good God, I tried to enjoy a quiet stroll in the garden, and before I can so much as inhale a breath of air, I find it crawling with nephews and policemen. I come out to be alone with nature, and the first thing I know, I can't move for the crowd. What is this place? Piccadilly Circus, Homestead Heath on Bank Holiday, the spot chosen for the annual outing of the police force. I saw his point. Nothing is more annoying for a man who is seeking privacy than to discover that, without knowing it, he has thrown his grounds open to the public. In addition to which, of course, Chichester Clam was waiting for him in the potting shed. The acerbity of his tone had not been lost on Stilton. Well, I mean to say it couldn't have very well been. That expletive alone would have been enough to tell him that he was not a welcome visitor. I could see that he was piqued. He was in many ways a haughty spirit, and it was plain he resented this brusqueness. From the fact that the top of his helmet moved sharply in the direction of the stars, I knew he had drawn himself to his full height. He found himself, however, in a somewhat embarrassing position. He could not come back with anything really snappy. Uncle Percy, being a justice of the peace, and as such able to put it across him like the dickens if he talked out of his turn. Besides, being his future father-in-law, he was compelled accordingly to temper his resentment with a modicum of reserve, and to take it out in stiffness of manner. I am sorry. No use in being sorry. Thing is not to do it, blast it. To intrude. Then stop intruding. But I am here in the performance of my duty. What do you mean? I've never heard such nonsense. I received a telephone call just now, desiring me to proceed to the hall immediately. Telephone call? Telephone call? What rot? At this time of night, who telephoned you? I suppose the stiff official manner is difficult to keep up. Quite a bit of strain, probably. At any rate, Stilton now lapsed from it. Young Roddy Edwin. He replied sullenly. My son Edwin? Yes. He said he had seen a burglar in the grounds. A spasm seemed to pass through Uncle Percy. The word burglar had plainly touched a cord. He spun round with a passionate gesture. Jeeves! My lord. Did you post that letter? Yes, my lord. Phew! Said Uncle Percy and mopped his brow. He was still mopping it when there came the sound of galloping feet and somebody started giving tongue in the darkness. Hey, hey, hey! Wake up, everybody! Turn up the guard! I've caught a burglar in the pouring shed! The voice was Boko's, and with another pang of pity, I realised that J. Chichester Clam's troubles had begun. He knew now what happened to people who came to Steeple Bumpley. Chapter 15 in the brief interval which elapsed before Boko sighted us and came to join our little circle, I fell to musing on this clam, and thinking how different he must be finding all of this from what he was accustomed to. Here, I mean to say, was one of those solid businessmen who are America's pride, whose lives are as regular and placid as that of a bug in a rug. On my visits to New York I'd met dozens of them, so I could envisage without difficulty a typical clam day. Up in the bright morning, early at his Long Island home, 
the bath, the shave, the eggs, the cereal, the coffee, the drive to the station, the 815 train, the cigar, the New York Times, the arrival at the Pennsylvania terminus, the morning's work, the lunch, the afternoon's work, the cocktail, the 550 train, the drive from the station, the return home, the kiss for the wife and dots, the pat for the welcoming dog, the shower, the change into something loose, the well-earned dinner, the quiet evening, and bed. That was it. Year in, year out. Routine of a man like Chichester Clam. Sundays and holidays accepted. And it was one ill-calculated to fit him for the raw excitements and jungle conditions of Steeple Bumpley. Steeple Bumpley must have come upon him as a totally new experience, causing him to wonder what had hit him, like a man who, stooping to pluck a nosegay of wild flowers on a railway line, is unexpectedly struck in the small of the back by the Cornish Express. As he now sat in the potting shed, listening to Boko's view halloos, he was probably convinced that all this must be that collapse of civilization of which he had no doubt so often spoken of at the Union League Club. In spite of the floor of heaven being thick inlaid with patines of bright gold, it was, as I have said, a darkish night and not easy to see things. The visibility was, however, quite good enough to enable one to perceive that Boko was pretty pleased with himself. Indeed, it would not be overstating it to say that he had got it right up his nose. That this was so was borne in upon me by the fact that he started right away calling Uncle Percy my dear Warpleston, a thing which in his calmer moments he wouldn't have done on a bet. Oh, my dear Warpleston, he said, having peered into the relative's face and identified him. So you're up and about, are you? Capital, capital, and Stilton too, and Jeeves, and Bertie. Oh, fine. Between the five of us, we ought to well be able to overpower the miscreant. I don't know if you were listening to what I was saying just now, but I've locked the burglar up in the potting shed. He spoke these words with the air of a man getting ready to receive the thanks of a nation, tapping Uncle Percy's chest the while as if to suggest that the latter was a lucky chap to have vocal fiddleworths working day and night in his interest. It did not surprise me to observe the relative's groaning restiveness under the treatment. Will you stop prodding me, sir? He cried, plainly stirred. What's all this nonsense about burglars? Bogo seemed taken aback. One could see he was feeling that this was not quite the right tone. Nonsense, Warpleston. How do you know the fellow's a burglar? My dear Warpleston, would anybody but a burglar be lurking in the potting sheds at this time of night? But if you still need convincing, let me tell you, I was passing the scullery window just now, and I noticed that it was covered with a piece of brown paper. Brown paper? Brown paper. Pretty sinister, eh? Why? My dear Warpleston, it proves to the hilt the man's criminal intentions. You're possibly not aware of it, but they always stick a bit of brown paper on a window with treacle and then smash it with a blow of the fist. It's the regular procedure. The fragments of glass adhere to the paper and are thus enabled to climb in without mincing themselves into hash. Oh no, my dear Warpleston, there could be no doubt concerning the scoundrel's guilty purpose. I bottled him up in the nick of time. I heard something moving in the potting shed, peeped in, saw a dark form, 
and slammed the door and fastened it, thus laying him a dead stymy and foiling all his plans. This statement drew a word of professional approbation from the sleepless guardian of the law. Good work, Boko. Thanks, Stilton. You showed great presence of mind. Nice of you to say so. I'll just go and pinch him now. Just what I was about to suggest. Has he a gun? I don't know. You'll soon find out. I don't care if he has. That's the right spirit. I shall just make a quick spring. That's the idea. And disarm him. We will certainly hope so. Yes, let us hope for the best. Still, whatever happens, you will have the satisfaction of knowing you have done your duty. Throughout these exchanges, starting at the words, Good work, and continuing right through the tab line, Done your duty, Uncle Percy had been exhibiting much of the frank perturbation of a cat on hot bricks. Nor could one blame him. He'd invited J. Chichester Clam for a quiet talk in the potting shed, and the thought of constables making quick springs at him must have been a very bitter one. You can't conduct delicate business negotiations with that sort of thing going on. In his agony of spirit, he now began saying, What again? leading Boko to apply that patronising finger to his brisket once more. It's all right, my dear Warpleston, said Boko, tapping like a woodpecker. Have no concern about Stilton. He won't get hurt. At least I don't think so. One may be wrong, of course. Anyway, he is paid to take these risks. Ah, oh, Florence, he added, addressing the daughter of the house, who had just come alongside in her dressing gown and with her hair in curling pins. It was plain that Florence was not her usual calm and equitable self. When she spoke, one noted a testiness. Never mind the ah, Florence. What is going on here? What is all this noise and disturbance? I was woken up by someone shouting. Me, said Boko, and even in the uncertain light, I could see that he was smirking. I doubt if all of Hampshire that night could have found a fellow more thoroughly satisfied with himself. He had got it firmly rooted in his mind that he was the popular hero, beloved of all, little knowing that Uncle Percy's favourite reading would have been his name on a tombstone, rather saddening the whole thing. Well, I wish you wouldn't. It's perfectly impossible to sleep with people romping all over the garden. Romping? I was catching a burglar. Catching a burglar? You've never spoken true a word. A great desperate brute of a midnight marauder who may or may not be armed to the teeth. That question we shall soon be able to answer better after Stilton has got together with him. But how did you catch a burglar? Oh, it's just a knack. I mean, what were you doing here this time of night? It was as if Uncle Percy had been waiting for someone to come along and throw him just such a cue. Exactly! He cried, having snorted the snort of a lifetime. The very thing I want to know. The precise question I was about to ask myself. What the devil are you doing here? I'm not aware that I invited you to infest my private grounds and go charging about them like a buffalo, making an appalling din and rendering peace and quiet impossible. You have a garden of your own, I believe. If you must behave like a buffalo, can't let go and do so. And the idea of locking people in my potting shed, I never heard of anything so officious in my life. Officious? Yes, darned officious. Boko was patently stunned. One sensed that thoughts about birds biting the hand that fed them were racing through his mind. 
He stuttered a while before speaking. Well, he said at length, having ceased to imitate a motor bicycle. Well, I'm dashed. Well, I must say. Well, I'm blowed. Officious, eh? That's the attitude you take, is it? Ha! Huh. One desires no thanks, of course, for these little good turns one does people, at some slight inconvenience to oneself. One might perhaps mention, but I should have thought that in the circumstances, one was entitled to expect at least decent civility. Jeeves? Sir? What did Shakespeare say about ingratitude? Blow, blow, thou winter wind, sir. Thou art not so unkind as man's ingratitude. He alludes to the quality as thou marble-hearted fiend. And he wasn't so dashed far wrong. I brood over this house like a guardian angel, sacrificing my sleep and leisure to its interests. I sweat myself to the bone catching burglars. Uncle Percy tuned in again. Burglars indeed! All silly nonsense! The man is probably some harmless wayfarer who has taken refuge in my potting shed from the storm. What storm? Never mind what storm. There isn't a storm. All right, all right. It's a lovely night. No suggestion of a storm. All right, all right. We aren't talking about the weather. We're talking about this poor waif in my potting shed. I say he probably is just some homeless wayfarer. I refuse to persecute the unfortunate fella. What harm has it done? All the riffraff for miles around have been using my garden as if it were their own. So who shouldn't he? This is Liberty Hall, damn it, or seems to be. So you don't think he's a burglar then? No, I don't. Warpleston, you're a silly ass. How about the brown paper? What price the treacle? Damn the treacle! Curse the brown paper! Or how dare you call me a silly ass? Jeeves! My lord. Here's ten shillings. Go and give it to the poor chap and let him go. Tell himself to buy a warm bed and supper. Very good, my lord. Back on at a sharp yapping sound like a displeased hyena. And Jeeves, he said. Sir, when he's got the warm bed, better tuck him up and see that he has a hot water bottle. Very good, sir. Ten shillings, eh? Supper, hey? Warm bed, forsooth. Well, this lets me out, said Boko. I wash my hands of the whole affair. This is the last occasion on which you may expect my help when you have burglars in this loony bin. Next time they come flocking round, I shall pat them on the back and hold the ladder for them. He strode off into the darkness, full to the brim with dudgeon, and I can't say I was much surprised. The way things had panned out would have been enough to induce dudgeon in the mildest of men, let alone a temperamental young author accustomed to calling on his publishers and raising hell at the smallest provocation. But though seeing his viewpoint, I mourned. In fact, I would go further. I groaned in spirit. The tender Worcester heart had been deeply touched by the non-smooth running of the course of the Bogo Nobby True Love Affair, and I had hoped that tonight's Rani Gazoo would have culminated in a thorough sweetening of Uncle Percy and consequently straightening out of the tangle. Instead of which, this impulsive Scrivener had gone and deposited himself lower down among the wines and spirits than ever, 
if the betting against his scooping in a guardian's consent had been about four to one up to this point, it could scarcely be estimated now at anything shorter than a hundred to eight. Or even at that generous price, I doubted the punters would have invested. I was just wondering whether it would be of any use my putting in a soothing word and feeling on the whole, perhaps not, when there came to my ears a low whistle, which may or may not have been the note of the lesser screech owl, and I observed something indistinct but apparently feminine bobbing about behind a distant tree. Everything seemed to point to this being knobby. I detached myself from the main body and oiled off in her direction. My surmise was correct. It was knobby, in a dressing gown but no curling pins. Apparently with her style of hair you don't use them. She was fizzing with excitement and the desire to learn the latest hot news. I didn't like to join the party, she said after the preliminary what hose had been exchanged. Uncle Percy would have sent me to bed. How's it coming along, Bertie? It wrenched the heartstrings to have to ladle out bad tidings to the eager young prune, but the painful task could not be avoided. Not too well, I replied somberly. As I had foreseen, the statement got right in amongst her. She uttered a stricken yowl. Not too well? No. What went wrong? It would be better to ask what went right. The enterprise was a flop from start to finish. She sharp exclamationed, and I saw that she was giving me one of those unpleasant suspicious looks. I suppose you fell down on your end of things. Nothing of the kind. I did all that a man could do. But there was one of those unfortunate concatenation of circumstances, which led to what we had anticipated would be a nice little night's work for the two of us becoming a mob scene. We were just getting on with it most satisfactorily when the gardens and messuages became a seething mass of Uncle Percy's, Jesus, Stilton's, Florence's, and what not. It dished our aims completely, and I'm sorry to say that Boko did not show himself at his best. What do you mean? He kept calling Uncle Percy my dear Warpleston. You can't address a man like that as my dear Warpleston for long without something cracking under the strain. Heated words ensued, quite a few being contributed by Boko. The scene, a most painful one, concluded with him calling Uncle Percy a silly ass, turning on his heel and stalking off. I fear his standing with the above has hit a new low. She moaned softly, and I considered for a moment the idea of patting her head. Not much use, though, I felt on consideration and gave it a miss. I did think I could have trusted Bogo not to make an ass of himself just for once. She murmured with wild regret. I doubt if you can ever trust an author not to make an ass of himself, I responded gravely. Golly, I'll take him off for this. Which way did he go when he turned on his heel? Somewhere in that direction. Wait till I find him, she cried, baying like an undersized bloodhound, and was gone with the wind. It was perhaps a couple of ticks later, or three, that Jeeves came shimmering up. A disturbing evening, sir, he said. I released Mr. Clam. Never mind Clam. Clam leaves me cold. The chap I'm worried about is Boko. Ah, uh, yes, sir. Silly idiot, alienating Uncle Percy like that. Yes, sir, it was a pity that the young gentleman's manner should not have been more conciliatory. He's sunk unless you can think of some way of healing the breach. Yes, sir. Get hold of him, Jeeves. Yes, sir. Confer with him. 
Yes, sir. Strain the bean to the utmost in order to hit upon some solution. Very good, sir. You will find him somewhere out there in the silent night. At least it won't be so dash silent because Nobby will be telling him what she thinks of him. Circle round till you hear a raised soprano voice. That will be the spot to head for. He popped off as desired, and I started to do a bit of pacing to and fro, knitting of the brows. I'd been knitting them for about five minutes, when something loomed up in the offing, and I saw it was Boko. Come to play a returning date. <laughs>